it just happens that last year on this Sunday, I, I preached the sermon and I gave a history, a brief history of Memorial Day. I'm not going to do that again. I hope you still remember the basics. But uh, uh, it started after the Civil War when the people in the northern states were so impressed by the way the people in the southern state, states remembered their men who had fallen in battle, seeking to protect their freedoms to be the kind of states that they felt they were supposed to be. And so the North was so impressed, they decided, well, let's do it too. And so they started honoring a day for their men who had fought and died in that war. Turns out that it was the costliest war we've ever been involved in. Some people differ on what the totals were, but uh, between 500 and 600,000 men died in that war. So it was a very costly war. It was <clears throat> something of the price, though. It gives us some idea of the price that it, 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 uh, it costs to have freedom. And I wanted to speak this morning on the price of freedom. That'll be my, my theme, my subject, the price of freedom. We've all heard the saying, I'm sure, that freedom is not free. Have you ever heard that? Uh, I see, I think we all have. Actually, that's not completely true. Freedom is free. Freedom is a free gift from God to us. Our founding fathers understood that when they declared in our Declaration of Independence from the tyranny of Great Britain. They said, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created, right away that pushes evolution out of the picture, are created equal and are endowed by their creator, emphasized twice, with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, or freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. Didn't list all of the unalienable rights that go along with the freedom that the Creator gave us. But freedom was given free. It was a gift from God. And our founding fathers understood that we need to hang on to that, that this is not something we earn. It was a free gift from God unto us. But to maintain freedom can be very costly. And that's what we've learned down through the years. And so Memorial Day, first of all, was set aside to honor those who died in the Civil War. After World War I, our nation realized we ought to be thankful for those who died in protecting our freedoms in all the wars. And so we started honoring from the War of Independence all the way up to then. And uh, since then, we have uh, included all the others who have given their lives in protecting our country from oppression and tyranny protecting our freedoms and so we've honored those who have died in all the wars actually <clears throat> Memorial Day has expanded beyond that I like that video that we saw because it also includes families families sacrifice a lot when we have to go to war to defend our freedom and to defend ourselves from being taken over tyrannically by another power and so <clears throat> although people go off in the military, those who are left behind have a sacrifice to pay. I remember so well uh, leaving my wife to go to the assignments that, that I was given. And she was there with 
small children. Nobody could come and help her, and she had to carry the load alone of uh, tending to the children, tending to everything about the house and, and about life in general. Uh, had to do it all by herself, carried a heavy load. And uh, <clears throat> it was lonely. And so we began to remember family members who had gone on and left this life. And so on Memorial Day, there's a lot of remembering of family members who have left us and who have died, but who have served well during their lifetime. And we love them for it, and, and we honor them on this day as well. So Memorial Day has really spread out to include a lot of people, and rightfully so. But when we talk about freedom, <clears throat> we talk about liberty, what does that mean anyway? Well, it's, <clears throat> it's something that it gives us an opportunity when we are seeking to maintain the freedom that God gave us, it gives us an opportunity to show what was quoted in that video, that verse from, uh, from John uh, chapter 12, and uh, excuse me, John chapter 15 and verse 13, where Jesus said, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. And then he said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And so <clears throat> this is the thing that is a way that we express our love by offering ourselves in the way that our military veterans do, our military service members do, offering ourselves. Why do people do that? Why do men and women go into the military <clears throat> and... Uh, put themselves in a position where they could lose their lives. Uh, it always happens when you're in the military and just in training. Many lose their lives just in learning how to be a good soldier or sailor or airman or whatever. Uh, and certainly in battle when we have to be in war, many of them, we know that many are going to lose their lives. Why do people do that? Well, it's because of love that they have for family and friends and for a nation that they want to protect their family and friends from being taken over by a tyrannical uh, nation, from taking away the freedoms that we have been given as a free gift from God and we have enjoyed so much. And so people go into the military because it's a show of love, a, a show of concern for others, for family, for friends and other people. And so that's why uh, people go into the military. They want to protect our freedoms. They want to preserve the freedom that we enjoy. And so we have this day where we can honor them for doing that, for showing that kind of love. Uh, but what does freedom really mean? Um, in the Declaration of Independence, it uses the word unalienable rights. Freedom involves rights. What are rights? We need to think about some of these words that we use so flippantly sometimes. What are rights? Does that mean freedom is my right to do anything I want to, even if it's wrong? Of course not. How ridiculous. Who ever heard of a right to do wrong? This is, <laughs> this is not what freedom is. It is not my right to do whatever I want to do. Freedom <coughs> comes from a different way of looking at it, and I want to share with you also 
a passage of scripture that explains uh, what, uh, what freedom is all about in uh, John chapter 8. And uh, beginning with verse 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then ye are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Did you know that that's what determines what is right and what is wrong? Jesus said, if you'll continue in my word, you'll know what is the truth, and it's the truth that will make you free. We have always had tyranny lurking in this world, wanting to rob us of our freedom that God gave us, wanting, us, wanting to put us under that domination of whatever that tyrannical force is. We've always had it. It's always been here. From way back in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve that perfect freedom, gave them bountiful prosperity, access to everything they could ever want or ask for, dominion over this world and everything in it. They were given that kind of freedom, but tyranny was lurking. It was Satan, and Satan tempted them, and they thought, Oh, that sounds good. We'd love to have that. And they left the path of freedom and surrendered their freedom and lost it. And so this is what we must guard against is that subtle, often subtle tyranny trying to get control of us and run our lives for us through tempting us to commit sin. Sin as somebody rightly defined, sin is, it always takes you further than you wanted to go. It always keeps you longer than you wanted to stay. It always costs you more than you wanted to pay. Tyranny always is lurking around to get us on the path of sin. And when we just choose to go on that path, that's when we lose the freedom that was God's gift unto us. When we stay on that path with him, we do enjoy freedom. The freedom that really is so precious and so powerful. In the Bible, we have many examples of people who made that choice, but I, I love one that uh, from Hebrews uh, <clears throat> chapter 11. It talks about Moses. And it says, Moses, when he was come to years, chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. This is the kind of choice that preserves freedom for us. Even if it means affliction. And in this day, I hate to say it, but in this day, if you take a clear, open stand for biblical truth and you tell that this is what everybody needs to do you're going to get some affliction for that you're going to get criticized you're going to get made fun of and mocked and uh, classified as an extremist and all kinds of things that 
uh, can happen. And yet it says Moses had enough wisdom to choose to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. You see, Moses had learned that when you get involved in sin, there's always a hangover afterward. And it only the joy only lasts for a little while, and then the hangover hits you. And Moses made a wise choice, and he chose to go the path of freedom. God was able to use him to lead the Hebrew people back into freedom. They had become slaves of this wicked Pharaoh in Egypt, and they were hurting because of that, because it got worse and worse with every passing year. Cried out to God and complained and, and asked for his help, and, and God sent Moses and delivered them out of that bondage. And uh, it's good that there was someone who chose to take the path of freedom and lead others in that path to freedom. God delivered the Hebrews out of that bondage and slavery and led them to a land where they could be free, where they could live the kind of life that God wanted them to live. The people that had been living there were not free. They were in bondage to sin. They didn't deserve to have that land, and so they were going to be driven out. God was going to give it to these free people. What a wonderful picture of God restoring the freedom that had been lost by that tyranny. Well, <clears throat> this is wonderful that we have examples like that. It, it, it talks about our putting ahead of everything else, pleasing God. When that comes to mean more to us than anything else, we are in a condition of freedom. When we're not there, we're not really free yet. Freedom is powerful. And I'm going to say a little bit more about that, but uh, just to see some of the subtle ways that Satan tries, even after God has given us, in a very clear way, freedom like he gave to the Hebrews. Satan is always trying to mess it up anyway. On their way to the promised land, they were attacked by the Amalekites. And so they had to form hastily a quick little army to go out there and fight the Amalekites. <clears throat> and you might probably remember the story how that Moses went up on top of a hill and uh, was watching the battle from there. Joshua was the general leading the Hebrew army. And when Moses held up that rod that God had made such a symbol of power. His army, Joshua's army, was winning the battle. When his arm got tired and he let the rod down, the Amalekites began to win and put the Hebrews to flight. And so, fortunately, Moses had two helpers, and they stood on either side and held up Moses' arm so he could keep that rod up until the battle was over. They defeated the Amalekites, a much stronger army and a much stronger nation, they defeated them completely. God gave them that victory over an attempt at tyranny upon them. Well, they came into near the land of the Moabites. They were not going to harm the Moabites. The Moabites were kinfolks. They weren't going to do anything to them. In fact, God told them, don't you do anything about trying to fight against them or any of the other kinfolks. There were several kinfolks that uh, inhabited that part of the world. Uh, <clears throat> two of Lot's children had formed their little nations along that path leading into the promised land. And uh, <clears throat> Jacob's twin brother Esau had 
formed his little nation there in the same area. So God said, don't you bother them. You go around them. And I'm going to lead you into the land where you will be taking it over from who used to have it. So as they got near to Moab, Balak, who was the king at that time, said, boy, they whipped the Amalekites something awful. And look at the size of that bunch. There's, there were at least two million, maybe well over two million. And so he was afraid, and he sent for this prophet named Balaam, who lived up in probably what we now call Iraq. Uh, he had such a reputation that if he said it, man, it was going to happen. He just seemed to have that ability to foresee things before they happened and, and to make declarations it did happen. And so he called for Balaam to come and pronounce a curse on this people, the Hebrews. And Balaam was inclined to go, but uh, God spoke to him, the true God spoke to him and said, you're going to get in trouble if you do that. And so he said, I can't do it. Well, then Balak sent even higher level officials to come and offer him even more if he would come. And now Balaam is thinking, oh boy, how can I turn down an offer like this? And so God said, if you go, you better only say what I tell you to say. And so anyway, to make the long story short, Balaam came and he was going to earn the price that uh, Balak was willing to pay. But every time he'd go off and seek, and seek what does the Lord want me to say, he'd come back and he'd bless that nation. Uh, he could not say one single word of cursing in his pronouncements. And so finally, Balak got <laughs> completely disgusted with him. <laughs> Forget the whole thing, he said, but uh, Balaam didn't want to lose his reward. And so he said, well, now, I can't say a curse. God won't let me. But I can tell you something that would get God angry at him. And so he said, y'all have one of your big feast days, one of your big sinful behavior feast days, and invite them to come and join you and be a part of this. And get your women to get in there and, and, uh, and get the attention of the Hebrew men and let them know you're available, easily available to them. And so that's what Balak did. And guess what? They fell for it. Many of them did. 24,000 men lost their lives because they fell for that temptation. After all that God had done in setting them free, here's this little subtle tyranny that tried to rob them of their freedom, and some of them fell for it, and 24,000 died because of that. Well, we have to learn lessons, don't we? And that's a lesson that we should learn something from and not do the same thing, make the same mistake. Well... <clears throat> I want, to, uh, I want to just say that when we are fighting these battles, we need power. <clears throat> we need power. And there is a source of power that we need. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 through 17, we're told about this. It said, follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For you know how that afterward, 
When he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. We're told there that God will give unto us an adequate supply of his grace if we will keep the line open. It's kind of like a water line, this flow of God's grace into our lives. God, as long as we keep that open, God will see that we have an abundance of his grace. His grace is the power that enables us to desire and do that which is right. Without God's grace, we don't have that power. We might say, well, I wish I could live right, but I just can't seem to do it. Or others might say, well, I could do it if I wanted to. I, I just don't want to. One of them lacks the desire. The other one lacks the power. But neither one gets the job done. They don't have an adequate supply of the grace of God. And three things are listed there about how we can shut the spigot off where we don't get the flow of grace into our lives that we need. Bitterness is one of them. Holding on to bitterness, holding grudges, holding complaints against other people instead of forgiving them. Bitterness is one way that shuts the spigot. Another one it said is fornication or sexual immorality will shut off the grace of God in your life. That's one of the things that is such a big problem right now. Pornography is just encouraging this kind of sexual immorality in our culture. It's awful. It's one of the worst things that is happening. It, it started small, but it's been getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I, I hate to read the statistics about how many people are involved in looking at this on the Internet because they can keep sort of records about who's going into these websites. It, it's terrible, but that's, that shuts off the grace of God into a, a person's life, even though they're Christians. And then it talks about materialism, thinking more of money and uh, how to get money and so forth, thinking more of that than of what pleases God. And so these are the things that shut off the grace of God into our lives. But if we keep that spigot open, leave those things alone, then we get that power and desire to do the will of God. And uh, <clears throat> so this is the, the secret to how we maintain the freedom that God has given us so freely. Now, <clears throat> I want to just share a little testimony here. Years ago, when I was about 17 years old, I went to a Bible memory camp. I don't know if any of you were ever involved in BMA, but, uh, but uh, some of you might have been. And if you did your scripture memories, 12 weeks of it, then you got a free week at camp. And so I went to the camp. And one night around a campfire, the leader of that Bible memory camp said, now I want to give you all a chance to make a choice here, a very important choice. Those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to make a choice about surrendering your life to his control. You don't run it anymore. You're going to let him run your life. He said, if you want to make a public statement that you're surrendering your life to his control, take one of these pine cones. He had a stack of them over on one side. And take it representing you and put it in that fire and that's your way of saying I want to submit and surrender control of my life unto Jesus and I remember being touched in my heart thinking that is exactly what I need to do I wasn't the first one to do it but I 
was feeling that urging, and I got up and got a pine cone and put it on the fire. I'd already been a Christian for about 12 years at that time, trying to be the, the kind of person a Christian ought to be. But I can look back and realize that was when my life really got opened to the control of Jesus by his Holy Spirit. That's when that began for me. And I realized that I don't, people don't get a chance to do things like that anymore. And I want to give an opportunity to everyone who is here this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to make a decision like that. To take, if God is tugging at your heart about this, to take a step that will say to him, Yes, Lord, I want to surrender my life to you. I want you to control it from here on for the rest of my days. I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm surrendering it, Lord, unto you. He will do amazing things in your life. I'm not going to try to share everything that uh, I'd never, never be able to, but uh, it's like what Jesus said in Acts 1.8 when he said unto those who were faithful to follow him, he said, you're going to receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you're going to be powerful witnesses. And boy, I'm telling you, that <laughs> there were only 120 of them. That, that group hadn't grown very much, uh, hadn't grown very fast. But as soon as that power that Jesus promised came upon them, uh, in probably one or two hours, that number grew to not 120, but 3,120. And so this is what can happen. These are the kind of changes that can happen when we open up our lives to his control like that and let him fill us with what he's able to fill us with. And so just recently, Bobby and I went in to visit Mary Colvin. Many of you know Mary. She was in the uh, rehab section of life care. We went in to visit her. As we were waiting there at the desk to get connected with her, uh, a lady came up and said, do you have a Bible? I don't have a Bible and I need a Bible to read. They said, no, we don't have any. She said, well, not only me, but another lady needs a Bible too. And, and, uh, and that's when I spoke up and said, hey, I can get some Bibles from the church and bring them, and you'll have Bibles to give to people that don't have one here. And so then there was a lady sitting there in a wheelchair. She said, are you a preacher? I said, yes, I am. She said, you need to talk to this man here. This man doesn't know if he's going to go to heaven when he dies. His wife is in a dying condition, and she knows she's going to heaven. He's not sure he is when he dies, and, uh, and he, he needs to know. And so Bobby and I began to talk with him. He was open to talking about this. He wanted to be sure that when he died, he was going to heaven. And we explained to him what God said we needed to do, the only thing we needed to do to have this eternal life. And... Uh, and then asked him, do you want to do this? Do you want to take these steps? And, and he said yes. And so Bobby and I prayed with him, and then he prayed. And Jesus came into his life. You could tell that something was different in his life. Now, we didn't expect anything like that to happen. We just went there to visit Mary Colvin. But God had a plan for something very wonderful and powerful. And uh, I just rejoice in that. Now, he can do that in your life too. And so as we come to the close of this service, Usually we ask you to stand when we have the hymn of invitation. But today I'd like for us to do something different. I'd like for you to stay seated. And when we start to sing, we're going to sing 
a hymn different than the one in your program. Brother Wayne's going to lead us in a hymn, I Surrender All. All to Jesus, I surrender. If you want to say publicly, that is what I have already decided or that's what I'm deciding today, you stand. And you stand as we sing that hymn together. If you don't want to do it, you don't have to. Don't think, well, I better because I look bad if I don't. Don't do it for that reason. Only if God is telling you this is what you need to do and you want to do what God's telling you to do. Brother Wayne, let me have a prayer, and then if you will, come and lead us in our invitation hymn. Let's bow in prayer.